Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Crazy, crazy MLB trade deadline that we have to go over a lot of the trades. I obviously will for sure forget about some, but of course, we're going to hit on all the major ones. Um, two teams completely selling out, uh, both of which that have won in recency uh the chicago cubs and the washington nationals both completely gutting their organization wiping their hands and starting over so the yankees made some moves the mets made moves red Sox, dodgers padres uh there there is a lot to break down with the mlb trade deadline and also we will be talking about the nba draft um, won't spend too much time on that. Just some picks that I thought were significant and uh, some teams that I thought had the best overall draft. And of course, NBA free agency has begun August 1st. The official date opens up. Uh, we'll actually start with that because it's pretty, pretty quick news. Uh, of note, three players so far of significance. Kawhi, uh, declined his player option with the Clippers. He becomes an unrestricted free agent, but the thought is that he will just restructure a deal to stay in Los Angeles, probably for the rest of his career. Um, Chris Paul declined his player option with the Phoenix Suns, so he becomes an unrestricted free agent. A lot of whispers about where he's going to. Uh, the Lakers were at the top of that list, but of course with the Russell Westbrook trade, which we'll get to that right now, um, that doesn't seem like a destination. My thought, honestly, and I, I'm pretty sure I said this last week or maybe even the week before, whatever it was, was that he will most likely be staying in Phoenix uh, just because they had so much success. Monty Williams is there. Uh, they, are, they are proven that they are a high-end team, and Chris Paul can play at a uh, a finals level caliber starting point guard and the older Devin Booker gets and Mikael Bridges and that core that the Suns have the less of the load Chris Paul will have to shoulder so I think it's a really good situation for him to be in especially again with Monty Williams being there also and that connection that he has with him uh, I think that he'll end up staying in Phoenix and then the third guy who I believe was slated to become a free agent, or maybe next year he was slated to become a free agent, Steph Curry. He plans on signing a four-year extension worth $215 million with the Golden State Warriors. I believe Steph has made like $400 million in just like salary contracts um, with the Golden State Warriors. So. He's probably still underpaid. Um, that'll average out to like close to $50 million a year. And he's going to retire in Golden State, obviously. That four-year deal will take him until he's 36 years old, uh, which he could very well still be playing by then. Um, you know, he's not a super physical player, and that jump shot isn't just going to disappear into nothing because he gets older. Um, the, limits, the minutes will obviously be limited, but uh, he, he'll be there. For a while, I'm sure he'll sign like another two-year deal afterwards. Unless he really wants to retire at 36, I can't imagine he won't be able to play at 36 years old. Um, so Curry re-ups with the Warriors. Those are the big significant signings so far this free agency. Now, of course, with the draft, we're gonna go with the draft first and then free agency because I think I mean, uh, and then the trade deadline for MLB because I think that's probably gonna take up a majority of this episode. 
So we'll get basketball done first. Um, the big trade in the MLB draft, of course, was the proposed trade between the Washington Wizards and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers received Russell Westbrook in exchange for Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and the 22nd overall pick in this draft that just happened. Now, the Lakers have been trying to pawn off that package of some sort in some way, shape, or form for a while now. They got the Wizards to bite. Unload, they get, you know, uh, good value for Russell Westbrook when they weren't really that good, even though I know they made the first round and everything, but they still weren't that good of a team. Uh, Kuz is gone. So officially that whole Lakers uh, young core that they had, they're all gone. Um, Montrez Harrell, I don't know what's going on with him. Hopefully he finds a way to kind of find his footing again in Washington because uh, he really turned himself into, a, first of all, a sixth man of the year um, and a really good player to provide significant minutes off the bench when he was with the Clippers. He leaves the Clippers, signs with the Lakers in free agency, and pretty much becomes just uh, worthless. Like, he, he didn't get any significant minutes with the Lakers. Um, especially even in these playoffs, even without Anthony Davis, Trez wasn't playing. Uh, they, they just did not give this guy minutes. And it sucks because he really built himself into a, a really nice player and w- who has good value and a good commodity to have in your locker room, on the bench, on the floor. Like he was a, a good player to have, a coveted player to have. And you thought the Lakers just got way better when they signed him. You know, they just bolstered their bench with the reigning sixth man of the year, and he barely played. So it, it was kind of crazy to see that happen to him. And then, of course, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, during that title run for the Lakers, uh, proved that he could be a a big bucket getter when you needed it. He's, he's a proven three-point maker um, and just a, a good offensive player to have. Again, off the bench, he could probably start on Washington if he wanted to, um, just as, as like a, if they run like three guards out there, you know. Uh, I don't know if he will, but a fresh start for all three of those guys. KCP made himself a lot of money. Trez hopefully able to find his footing. And then Kuz, uh, Kyle Kuzma, hopefully for him, without the pressure of being a Laker on him, he shows that he is able to take that next step, which he hasn't really proven he can yet. And this is obviously after he just got paid. Like, the Lakers just paid him, but they packaged him for Russell Westbrook. As for that side of the deal, I, um, I have mixed feelings. So I am a, I'm a Russell Westbrook supporter. I've come a long way in that regard. Back when he was with OKC and Durant and even James Harden, I was calling him Russell Westbrook. Did not like the fact that he took shots away from Kevin Durant. I have pretty much done a 180 in those like 10 years that I've been saying that. Um, And I am a Russell Westbrook supporter. I think he's one of the greatest point guards of all time. Like probably sixth or seventh best point guard ever. Um, So with him, I, I, I support Russell Westbrook. I don't slander him. I try not to, obviously. 
if if he if he must be slandered, then he must be slandered. But I don't slander him for the fact that it's like some people like posting at him and they're like, oh, hollow stats, triple doubles don't mean anything. Uh, you know, he he's not a winner. He can't lead his team, blah, blah, blah. Bad shooter. Like, yeah, he's a bad shooter. I, I got to You know, I'll admit to that one. But everything else, I, th- I think he's a I think he's a great player and he's a great point guard. Um, however, his fit with the Lakers right now, as they are currently constructed with LeBron, uh, I, I don't know if that necessarily helps them. Um, in one factor, when LeBron is now off the court, the Lakers have someone who can undeniably run an offense and, and be the guy who's going to coordinate everything and, and push the ball and you know, last year and even during the title run, when LeBron was off the court, yes, they had Anthony Davis, but that's not necessarily someone who can be the ball dominant uh, player to like push an offense or anything like that. So now they have Westbrook, who is going to fill that floor general role when LeBron is off the court. Pairing him with Anthony Davis, I really like. Pairing him with LeBron at the same time on the court. I'm not necessarily, I'm not fully convinced that that would be the Lakers' best lineup, you know? Because if LeBron's on the court with Russell Westbrook, he's not, Westbrook isn't getting the ball over LeBron to to coordinate the offense and run plays through. LeBron's going to be the main facilitator when he's on the court. So if that's relegating Westbrook to be off ball, that's not, necessarily the best thing obviously because he's not a fantastic shooter so you got a guard now who's a ball heavy guard and who doesn't shoot kind of like what he had with Houston Um, I'm not comparing Harden and LeBron they're two completely different players so I think LeBron at this stage in, in his career where he's at right now the thinking in this is that he now has someone to take the load off his shoulders when it comes to running an offense. I think that was really the main move here is to get LeBron another trusted, smart, athletic point guard to run the offense through when he needs a rest and Anthony Davis is still on the floor, even when both of them need a rest. Westbrook can, can go in there and, and try, and, uh, try his best to maintain that offense and to run it through himself. So I get it in that regard. I just, in theory, I get why they were doing it. I I would obviously, or we will obviously all have to wait and see how it translates on the actual court for the Lakers. Because right now, I am a bit skeptic. Uh, If they were to have gone and signed Chris Paul, I think that on paper would have been a better look. For me, I think that would have been a little bit better. But now you got Russell Westbrook in there. Um, he's going to be your starting point guard. So you're running out with, I don't even know, I guess uh, Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, I guess, is going to get the nod to be the starting two guard. Um, I know a lot of people in the Lakers organization go goo goo gaga over him. So Taylor Horton Tucker, LeBron, AD. And I'm probably missing something. I mean, who's who's going to be the five or who's going to be the four if, if ADs plays the five? I don't know if they're signing, re-signing Dennis Schroeder. 
I don't know what's up with him. Um, I guess if they might have still have Drummond. I don't know if he's a free agent. Uh, Wesley Matthews is still with them. Ben Lacklemore is a guy off the bench. Markeith Morris probably will get the uh the starting power forward position. I I don't know. They got they definitely have to make some more moves, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and and sign someone else. You know, uh, I'm not sure how much cap space they have now that they're taking on Westbrook's contract, but. Uh, I can't imagine this is the only move that the Lakers make this entire offseason. So that was the big move um, pre-draft, the big pre-draft trade. And there was a lot of, obviously, trading up and down between different teams for the draft. Let's go and run through some of my favorite teams from this past draft and, and how they drafted. Number one, the Hawks. They took Jalen Johnson out of Duke with the 20th overall pick, and then somehow, someway, all the way at number 48, they were able to select Sharif Cooper, who I was very high on, um, the point guard out of Auburn. So they get a nice backup playmaking point guard to back up Trey Young, and they get an athletic, scoring, long, uh, small forward, power forward tweener with Jalen Johnson at Duke. I'm not super high on Jalen Johnson. He really has not played that many basketball games. Um, I think they were, they were showing it during the draft. He missed all of 2019. He didn't play a game. 2020 was cut down due to COVID. Uh, and then at Duke this past season, he left early. He left like 12, 11, 12, 13 games into the season, um, and and went to go focus on training and getting ready for the NBA draft. So he was, he was taken 20th overall, but this is a guy that, really has not played that many basketball games since high school, which is, you know, two, three years from now. Like, he has not played that many games. So that's why I'm a bit skeptical on him. I don't like the fact that he left Duke before they were even halfway through the season. Um, It's different than what, like, a guy like Ben Simmons does when he left after LSU was officially eliminated from uh, the NCAA tournament. That's when he dipped. I get that. Jalen Johnson leaving, Duke was struggling. They weren't playing well. Uh, a lot of the Blue Bloods struggled this year. So they weren't playing well, and he leaves. I don't really like that. That kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and Sharif Cooper is another guy that kind of got screwed over a little bit. 2020 season in high school uh, cut short. And then coming into his freshman year at Auburn, the NCAA was investigating his eligibility. He missed like six games, I think it was. He missed a few a few games. Um, Hops back in, plays really well to start, and then an ankle injury, or uh, I think it was an ankle injury. Uh, an injury cuts his season down short for Auburn. So not he. Uh, these are two guys not really were had a very limited window to show off what they were capable of. Sharif Cooper, I wanted the Knicks to draft him at the end of the first round. I think the pick after the Hawks, I wanted the Knicks to take him. Um, and they were just. He just kept sliding and sliding and sliding. And I, I really think he's going to be one of these steals in the draft. He's a really good point guard. Chris Paul-esque. He grew a couple inches in college. He's now standing at like six foot two. So I'm I'm really excited to see Sharif Cooper play. And to ideally he becomes the bat he impresses enough and, and doesn't have to play in the G League at all, being a second round pick. Um but he can back up Trey Young and, and, and run that offense when Trey Young needs a breather. Because the Hawks, when Young went to the bench, 
one of the Hawks' floor uh, flaws was that there was no one really to on the floor that could replace Trey Young in any capacity as a scorer and a facilitator. They didn't have anyone of that caliber, which is saying a lot. Trey Young's pretty good, so. Uh, Sharif Cooper, I think at the very least will be someone who's going to be able to, uh, facilitate really well at the NBA level. Charlotte also had a very good draft. They chained, took James Booknight, uh, Booknight, whatever, 11th overall out of UConn, Kai Jones, 19th, JT Thor, 37th, and Scotty Lewis, 56th. I really like that draft. Um, Kai Jones, I don't know. That's a little bit one of a sketchy one. James Boo Knight is a bucket. He's a walking bucket. So I, I like that uh, that draft pick for the Hornets, even though they have a bunch of buckets already. Uh, just adds more scores for LaMelo Ball to get the ball to. I thought the Rockets had a great draft, taking Jalen Green second overall as anticipated. And then Shockingly, I, I didn't see this guy high on a lot of people's draft boards. Um, they were kind of suspecting him to go early second round. He goes, I think it was 23rd, 24th. He went 24th overall, big Kobe guy. Josh Christopher from Arizona State, who I love. And I wonder if after taking Jalen Green, I, I imagine Josh Christopher was high on the Rockets draft board. But after taking Jalen Green, if that affected them being like, okay, he's there at number 24. Do we take him now? Uh, and they ended up taking Josh Christopher. But Christopher and Jalen Green played a lot of AAU ball together. Um, they are buddies from the California, I think, southern Los Angeles area. So they, they grew up playing a lot of ball together. Um, and these are two guys who have a pretty strong bond with one another. And I wonder if that influenced the Rockets officially pulling the trigger on Josh Christopher if they had someone else on their draft board that they would rather take but were convinced maybe by taking Jalen Green that they'd have that chemistry together coming up being on the same team. Uh, I really like that pick. The Rockets now have three certifiable buckets on their roster. Young, super young guys too. Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, and Josh Christopher are all buckets. Josh Christopher is the biggest um, work in that he, he's the most work in progress out of those three, uh, shot selection needs to get, get better for him. Um, and maybe his facilitating also needs to be worked on. Jalen green is an athletic Marvel, uh, a unicorn kind of guy going to be a real big threat. Once he puts on some muscle, Josh Christopher is, is more built than Jalen green, but once green puts on some muscle, he puts on some weight, gets his his NBA strength. He grows into his body. He's only like a 19-year-old kid. So once he grows into his body, he's going to be a huge problem, I think, in the NBA. He has a good jump shot. Uh, and then obviously Kevin Porter Jr., we know that he can go out and get a bucket on whoever he wants. Um, I really like him as well. I was really high on him. And then obviously it didn't work out with him in Cleveland. He got his chance with the Rockets and has proven that he could, at the very least, be a good sixth-man scoring option off the bench, kind of like Jordan Clarkson. At the very least, that's what Kevin Porter Jr. can be. But in my, in my eyes, the Rockets have three buckets that they can plug into their lineup at any given time, and those guys can go and score. The Knicks, of course, I believe had a really good draft. Quinton Grimes at 25. Rokas... <laughs> Jokubaitis, I don't know if I, I don't think I spelled that right. Uh, I don't think I said that right at all. Miles McBride, 36, and Jericho Sims, 
50, 58th again. Um, I, I would have liked to seen Sharif Cooper at 34 or 36, but they went with Grimes, uh, Rokas, and Miles McBride. I'm okay with this. Um, I really like Quentin Grimes. He's a slightly older player. Spent a couple years in college. I believe he's like 21 years old. Uh, he was in. He was at Kansas. Transferred to Houston. So he he plays under tough coaches, and you're gonna need that with Tom Thibodeau. Um, I think he's gonna be able to slide in for that uh, for the Knicks really well. Good three and D guy. I believe he shot like close to or over 40 percent from three this past season. Uh, so he has a good solid jump shot. Plays tough. Well built. I like that. I I genuinely like that pick. Um, at 25 for the Knicks, where they kept trading back, and they eventually picked Grimes. Rokas and McBride and uh, Jericho Sims, we'll have to see what remains of those guys. But I do, I do like Miles McBride. Out of those three, I like him probably the most. The Warriors, uh, they didn't have a second-round pick, but their first round was incredible. They take Jonathan Kaminga, who I thought was going to be a top-five pick, he slides to seven, and the Warriors are able to take him with that Timberwolves pick that they got. Uh, so Kaminga goes at seven, and then Moses Moody goes at number 14. Both of these guys, super high ceilings. Um, and the Warriors really have a lot to play with. They can trade some of these young guys. They can trade Wiseman, Wiggins, Moody, or Kaminga, package them in some type of deal with draft picks, and they can go out and get a disgruntled star on a team looking to get a bit younger or blow it up, whatever have you, like someone like Bradley Beal. I'm sure the Wizards would welcome having a guy like Kaminga or Wiseman on their team and a draft pick or two for Bradley Beal. So the Warriors, they can either go package those guys and trade them out for someone, or they can keep them, hang on to them, build them up on this team, this culture that they have, uh, then they could probably contribute on the Golden State Warriors. When these young kids come in into a situation like that, a guy like Kaminga, who has such a high ceiling, and even Moody, who's a great scorer, when they come into a situation like that in Golden State where you have Klay Thompson coming back, you have Draymond Green, you have Stephen Curry, those are the guys that are expected to shoulder the load for Golden State. If Golden State doesn't succeed, it falls on them. If they do succeed, it's it's because of them. So as a rookie, you might not get the same opportunities that a lot of other rookies would get, but you're in a really good spot with very little pressure to thrive, work on your game, and learn from a lot of the best players in the NBA and, and multiple-time champions and MVP and Steph Curry. It especially for a guy like Moses Moody, who is, I think, mostly could be a 3 and D guy. Um, a lot of 3 and D players in this draft. I really like these two picks for the Warriors. And those are some of the teams that I thought were uh, the best. They really caught my eye in terms of who they were selected and where. I like all those. So with the, with the draft, the Knicks, me being a Knicks supporter, um, the first time in a while I haven't heard the Knicks bitch and moan, Knicks fans bitch and moan, about they should have taken this, they should have done this, they should have done that. We're satisfied with our draft picks. We like the game that Leon Rose was playing, trading back, kept trading back. Finally got a guy that uh, 
that they wanted at a good spot and added additional picks on top of it. So I really liked what he did in the draft this year. One one thing that shocked me, I think the only one that shocked me inside like the top five, um, Scotty Barnes going four to Toronto over Jalen Suggs. I thought Jalen Suggs probably made the most sense for Toronto, given the fact that Kyle Lowry isn't getting any younger. Um, taking someone like Jalen Suggs on a team that has an aging point guard who's been there forever, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to to pass the torch and let Kyle Lowry kind of mentor Jalen Suggs until he was ready to hang it up. And then Suggs could just come in, guns blazing, and and would have a good time in Toronto. Instead, they take Scotty Barnes, who is... I, I really like Scotty Barnes, don't get me wrong. Um, but for Toronto, it just didn't really make sense. He's another forward guy, point forward-esque, super long, going to be a great defender in the NBA. But just for right now, what Toronto needs, if they don't want to just keep playing like shit, he didn't really seem like it fit. It didn't seem like it fit the mold, in my opinion. I thought Jalen Suggs would have been a much better fit there uh, as of right now. So I think the Raptors dropped the ball, but luckily for the Magic, they get Suggs at five, and then they take Franz Wagner out of Michigan at eight. So ended up being a real good spot for Orlando. You thought maybe, okay, when I, when I, when I was reading the, um, the draft, mock drafts last week, Scotty Barnes projected to go to the Magic at five, which he's the best available player at five. You take him there, right? That's just how it goes. Uh, either that or like someone like Kaminga, probably. But now this is best case scenario for the Magic. The Raptors fuck up. They take Scotty Barnes. Now instead of taking two forwards, if you're the Magic, inside the top 10 on a team where you already have a lot of forwards, you get a guard. Easily, Jalen, Stug- Jalen Suggs steps in and is already the best guard that the Orlando Magic have on their roster. And then you pair him with someone like Franz Wagner, who can shoot, facil- like he can facilitate a little bit well. He's, he's a pretty athletic forward. Um, I lo- that's a good draft for the Orlando Magic. They should, or Magic fans and the Magic front office should be very, very, very pleased that they were able to take Suggs at five. Okay, MLB trade deadline. Probably the most hectic trade deadline in recent memory. So, the Nationals and the Cubs had a fire sale. First, the Nationals. They trade Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers. They trade Kyle Schwarber to the Red Sox. And they traded John Lester to the Cardinals. So, off rip, John Lester to the Cardinals doesn't really make any sense for me. The Cardinals are not playing well. Like, point blank, point blank period, the Cardinals aren't good this year. So, that wasn't really as much as a, a Nationals thing, as much as, um, like, what are the Cardinals doing? They're nine and a half games back of Milwaukee for the Central Division, which, okay, like, from a Yankees fan perspective, we're seven games back, but the, the Cardinals are one game over 500. Um, that, that, like, that's not, they aren't that good of a team. So for them to be buying and, and trading for someone like John Lester doesn't make any sense for me. Um, the only people who survived the mass exodus for 
Washington are Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, and Juan Soto. Uh, as for everyone else, Kyle Schwarber, we mentioned, we just mentioned Lester. Schwarber going to the Red Sox. I understand in theory, okay, the Red Sox just bolstered their lineup now. They added a big lefty bat in Kyle Schwarber. But logistically, I don't I don't know if that makes like total sense. Like obviously, okay. I get why. But where is he playing? You have a pretty solidified outfield, so he's either going to be platooning with someone in the outfield or he's taking someone else's job, which is given where the Red Sox are right now would be a little skeptical because it's worked. Uh they did just get swept by the Rays, but they're still only about a game and a, ba- a game and a half out of first place. So their roster has worked up until now. So are you taking whoever's been playing in the outfield? You're taking playing time away from them? JD Davis, I mean JD Davis. JD Martinez is your everyday DH. He can play the outfield if you need him to. So Schwarber can platoon with him, but again, someone else that's already in the outfield normally for the Red Sox, is going to lose playing time. Or the the crazy one, the crazy idea is play Schwarber at first base where he's played a grand total of like two games at the major league level at first base. Just not a first baseman. Um, could you make him into a first baseman? Absolutely. If you really needed that to happen and you were like, hey, if you learn to play first base, you're in the lineup every day, then so be it. Um, you know, there have been probably worse first basemen than what Kyle Schwarber might be, but he that's gonna that's a lot of work. That's going to take a lot of work and a lot of reps for Kyle Schwarber to be a reliable first baseman. And then obviously the big enormous trade for the Nationals is Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to Los Angeles. Trey Turner was unexpected for me. There were reports going in. After Max Scherzer was noted to be eligible or uh, available, I should say, for a trade, uh, he did come out and preference that he wanted to go to a contender on the West Coast. So immediately, all eyes go to the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Padres, all in the NL West, all 60-plus wins right now, all at the top of the National League. The reports did come out that the Padres, a few hours before the news broke that he got traded to the Dodgers, the Padres were the front runners. that the, the negotiations between the Nationals and San Diego were heating up. And then you get the report, and it's not the Padres, it's the Dodgers. And, oh, by the way, it's not just Max, Tur- uh, Max Scherzer, it's also Trey Turner who is now going to be playing second base for the Dodgers. So the Dodgers just keep loading up. Um, I don't know what team wants to play. This is also on top of the fact that Trevor Bauer is probably not going to play for the rest of the year because of these sexual assault allegations against him. Um, They pretty much replaced Trevor Bauer with Max Scherzer, which is wild to think about. So now you got Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, and... Walker Bueller being your three-headed monster going into the playoffs, plus the the crazy lineup that you have trotting out there every game. The Dodgers really just made a huge move, but that even that being said, they they, they couldn't beat the Giants this past week. Um, they lost the series. They dropped the series to San Francisco, who has been playing incredibly well, and they also went out and added to their own 
uh, their own roster with Chris Bryant. So for the Padres, didn't make the moves I think that a lot of people wanted. I think Jake Marisnik from Chicago was the only one that I saw the Padres acquired the of note. But we mentioned the Giants. They went out and get Chris Bryant. The Cubs are the other team that blew it up. Uh, that 2016 World Series team, three of those core guys. Four of them have you count Schwarber, but he left in free agency this past year. Now he got traded again. So Baez gets dealt to the Mets. Chris Bryant goes to the Giants, and Anthony Rizzo heads to the Yankees. Huge trade for the, my Yankees. Huge trade. Uh, first base has been a hole since Luke Voigt has been out. No lefty bats. Two birds, one stone with the Yankees. Oh, and by the way, they also go out and get Joey Gallo from Texas. So you add, uh, we have the depleted left-handed batters in the Yankees lineup. You go and get two of the best left-handed bats on the market with Rizzo and Joey Gallo. Now you got uh, a three outfield set of Judge, Stanton, and Gallo. Gardner's going to be platooning. The DHs will be switching now and again between Stanton and Gallo probably. And you go and get Rizzo now, plug him in to be your everyday first baseman. And then for the Mets, Javier Baez, great time to go out and get him. They, he's buddy-buddy with Francisco Lindor. They played on the Puerto Rico national team. They're very close. They were taking with back-to-back picks, eighth and ninth by the Indians and Cubs in the same draft. So they're very close. They have a very good friendship. So he was very happy. Edwin Diaz and Francisco Lindor were two of the happiest guys on the planet during that trade deadline when they found out they were getting Javi Baez. Lindor's been down. He's probably not coming back for a few weeks. Um, so Javi Baez will be playing shortstop up until then. Uh, and after that, when Lindor comes back, you figure he'll probably play second base because that's where he played for the Cubs during that title run. Um, Addison Russell was their shortstop, if you remember. So Baez will probably play second base. And now all of a sudden the Mets have arguably the best middle infield in all of baseball. And one of my personal favorite players. I love Javier Baez. He's probably the most electric player in all of baseball. That's including Fernando Tatis Jr., who kind of, in my opinion, copies a little bit of Javi's swag when he's running the bases and uh, pimping home runs. So I love that move for the Mets. They were attached to Chris Bryant, who I think might have been the better pick. Uh, but Baez in that connection with Lindor probably sold Steve Cohen on pulling the trigger on that. So he fills in at shortstop while Lindor is out. And then when Lindor is back, he just shifts over to second base. The Giants went and got Chris Bryant. And the Yankees got Anthony Rizzo. All three homered in three consecutive days during their debuts. Uh, I believe it was Rizzo on Friday in his debut homered. Saturday was Baez. Uh, So Rizzo against the Marlins in his debut. Baez against the Reds in his debut. and then. I don't know who the Giants were playing, but Chris Bryant did homer in his San Francisco Giant debut on Sunday. First triple or triple, I don't know how to say it. First trio, Jesus Christ. First trio of players to homer, to start the, it was some, one of these stupid stats, but the first trio of teammates to start the season on the same team and then homer in their debut on a different team in the same season. 
That's a mouthful, but apparently it's a stat. <laughs> so, all three of them going to contenders. Um, the Yankees, actually, believe it or not, are the worst of the three, even though they have the same exact record, pretty much, as the Mets. The Mets find themselves three and a half games in first place, and the Yankees are seven games back of first place in the AL East, because the NL East sucks. And the Giants, of course, are in first place in the NL West, which is the best division in baseball. So those are the monster trades. We went over the Yankees. We covered the Red Sox, the Mets, other people. This is what I just have written down. Let's see if I forget. Oh, uh, the Mets also got Trevor Williams in that trade with the Cubs. Um, The Blue Jays get Jose Barrios for Simeon Woods Richardson, who was acquired in the Stroman deal with the Mets, and Austin Martin, two top five prospects in the Blue Jays' farm system. Bit of a head-scratcher. I'm not sure Berrios is going to be worth that Worth that in the long run for the Blue Jays. Ideally, they resign him, but he has been... I read that he was adamant that he wanted to test out free agency when he becomes a free agent in 2023 or after the 2023 season. So they have him on lock at least for another year. The A's got Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes from the Nationals, two other guys that I didn't mention until just now that the Nationals dealt out. Um, Craig Kimbrell, a part of the Cubs fire sale. He goes to the White Sox, but the Cubs get a nice haul with Nick Madrigal and Cody Heurer in that trade. So I think that works out for both sides. Gives the Cubs nice young talent in exchange for a good closer. Um, the A's also got Starling Marte and Cash from the Marlins in exchange for Jesus Luzardo, who is... Wildly known as one of Oakland's biggest stars, top prospect, and a guy who is going to lead them into the future. So a lot of people actually think that the Marlins, I mean, I'm one of those people, the Marlins fleeced the A's. Fleeced them. Marte's a rental. There's no guarantee that he's going to be a guy that re-signs with you after this year. And you just gave up one of your best prospects for him. And he wasn't even one of the best uh, available outfielders on the trade market. And you gave up one of your top guys for him. So the Marlins get good value there. Uh, They are definitely a team that is on the up and up. Derek Jeter, my Jeets, my beloved Jeter, and Kim Ning. um, I hope I uh, said that right. It's just NG is her last name. Um, They have done a really good job of uh, making good trade, making solid trades, cultivating talent, creating a culture that is fun in Miami where people are going to want to come and play. And they're already getting that sense. Jesus Aguilar, I believe, came out and said that he would like to stay in Miami. They got Jazz Chisholm, who I am a huge fan of. Uh, so they're really, they're really bolstering that team down there, those two. And I believe the last... Oh, Kendall Graveman. That was a, this was a huge thing. Seattle traded their closer, Kendall Graveman, who's good, to the Astros in division. And uh, apparently the locker room exploded. People were not happy at all that Graveman was traded. The Mariners are actually pretty good uh, this year. They're 56-50, and 50, eight games back, building some momentum, and then they went and traded their closer who, yeah, I mean, the clubhouse just reacted very negatively to that. So that's not a great look, uh, especially when you're trying to gain momentum heading into this last stretch of the season. Uh, not uh, a, head cra- a head scratcher move, for sure, for uh, Seattle and the Mariners. So I think the last bit that I'm missing here is the uh, Atlanta Braves. 
So Acuna went down um, a couple weeks ago, I think it was now. And he went down with a ACL tear. He's out for the year. Who knows how much he misses, how much time he misses next year. But the Braves go out and get three outfield or four outfielders. Actually, they got Jock Peterson a while ago. Uh, a couple weeks. Was it a while ago? It might have been like a week ago. But they got Jock Peterson from the Chicago Cubs, also part of the mass exodus in Chicago. So they get Jock Peterson, and then they go and they get Eddie Rosario. Adam du- they get Eddie Rosario from Cleveland, Adam Duvall from Miami, and Jorge Soler from the Royals. So now you got you lose your best outfielder with Ronald Acuna, but then you go and get four more. I think they cut Ender Enciarte a while ago. I don't know who plays center field out of all those guys. Probably Jock Peterson, but you have a lot of guys now to choose from from your outfield, and the Braves clearly are sending a message just because Acuna went down with an ACL tear does not mean they are giving up on this season. They are going full steam ahead and attempting to catch up to the Mets, who, for now, I mean, the Mets are dropping like flies. Guillaume just went down with a a mysterious hamstring injury, I think it was. And on top of that, you already got guys... Sean Reed Foley's on the 60-day, Jacob deGrom's on the 10-day, Lindor, Syndergaard, Peterson, Jordan Yamamoto, Batances, is, who, who remembers Dylan Batances being a Matt? Robert Giselman, Joey Lucchesi, all these guys on the DL, on the IL, I should say, and those are just the ones that are. Everyone has had a stint, pretty much. Everyone on the Mets roster at this point in the season has had, like, at least one stint on the IL. Conforto was on there, J.D. Davis was on there, Nimmo, McNeil, all these guys, Alonzo, I think, also earlier in the year, all these guys were on the IL at one point or another. So the fact that the Mets, even though they have the same record as the Yankees and they're in two different spots, they're three and a half games in front of the, in in the lead of uh, first place on the NL East. It's a marvel. It really is just an absolute marvel that with all these injuries, no one has come storming up the Mets' ass and just usurped first place from them. They've just been hanging in there every single day. Um, now, they did go out also and get Rich Hill, which I think I mentioned last week. Um, the Mets getting Rich Hill was, was big for them. I think that was a really good move. While DeGrom, you're waiting for DeGrom to come back. Um, it's unfortunate. I don't know if DeGrom... I mean, if he's healthy all year, he wins MVP and Cy Young. He'll probably still get the Cy Young this year if he comes back sooner rather than later. But he's been out since the All-Star break, I think. Maybe just after the All-Star break, he had like one start and then he was done. So I think, and this is also, I'm pretty sure, his second second or third stint on the IL. Uh, his health has been sketchy this year. So... I mean, he obviously is the best pitcher in baseball, but being healthy is a part of it. So if you're missing starts, especially when your team needs you, it it's tough. I don't want to say it, but you know, everyone, all Mets fans know what I'm saying. Um, so hopefully he comes back sooner rather than later. But that's the MLB trade deadline, and what a doozy it was, man. Uh, obviously there were probably way more transactions and trades that 
I am unaware of or just flew under my radar. Those are the big ones that I wrote down because I felt they were significant for baseball as a whole, for all these contenders. Um, I'm sure there were the other like B and C list guys that were traded again under my radar that I didn't see, but those are the big names. And it was definitely one of the most active trade deadlines that I can remember with the biggest names being traded that I can remember. Um, I mean, just count on their hands here. Schwarber, sure. Just between two teams, just two teams, the Nationals and Cubs, both who won World Series pretty recently in, in 2019 and 2016 or 2015, whatever. I always think the Cubs was 2016, but I, no, no, the Royals were 2015. Never mind. I was right. 2016 Cubs. So Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, this is all within two days of each other, right? Two or three days, that trade deadline window. Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant. Scherzer, Trey Turner, Schwarber, Lester, Josh Harrison, and Jan Gomes. And if you want to count Jock Peterson with the Cubs too, go right ahead. So that's just, those are a lot of names. A lot of, I mean, Harrison and, uh, and Gomes, I kind of just threw in there. But Turner, Scherzer, and Schwarber all being traded, and even John Lester, those four being traded, and then the three guys with the Cubs being traded. Those are seven well-known guys that are on different teams now, all on contenders. So it's, it's wild, man. It's really wild. And then you look at Joey Gallo. He was one, he was a hot ticket in Texas. He's on the Yankees now. Um, th- there are a lot, a lot of things to be, uh, to be excited about, especially West Coast baseball. It's the one of the few times that I hate being on the East Coast because uh, I have to stay up super late if I want to watch any of these guys play baseball now. But very exciting. It's, it's very exciting stuff. Um, the AL East, the NL East, and the NL West are three divisions that are probably all going to come down to the wire. I'm not saying the Yankees are going to miraculously storm back from seven games, but they're going to be hanging around. And the, obviously the Rays and the Red Sox are going to be going back and forth for that division lead while the Yankees creep. With the Mets, you got the Phillies and Braves lurking behind them and for first place. And then you got a three-team arms race in the NL West between the Padres, Dodgers, and uh, the Giants. What sucks about that is that I don't think they're doing the, the, the three best of three wildcard series, which they should, but they're not. It's a one-game playoff. So one of those two teams in the NL West is not going to be playing in a best-of series for the playoffs, which sucks. Granted, whatever two teams play in that wildcard game, it's going to be one of the most intense games you might ever watch all year. Whether it's between the Padres and Giants, the Padres and Dodgers, the Dodgers and Giants, who knows? Dodgers, Dodgers and Padres, who knows what it is, but regardless... Two of those three teams are going to have one of the most memorable wild card games that we'll ever see. And NBA free agency alert as we're wrapping this up. This is the, the first big signing here. Lonzo Ball, four years, $85 million with the Chicago Bulls in a sign and trade with New Orleans. So that's the first big splash in free agency. Lonzo Ball, who I kind of wanted the Knicks to go after. He gets four years, $85 million in a sign-and-trade from the Bulls. 
For those of you who aren't great at math like me, that's a little over $21 million a year averaging out. I don't know how it's split up, if it's back end, front end, first two years, whatever. First two years more, second two years less. I don't know how it is. But on average, it's a little over $21 million. So the first big splash in free agency happens as we are wrapping up this episode. Uh, this, If you're listening to it now, it's Tuesday, so I know we are a day early. Um, hopefully now, I'm recording Monday night, so hopefully now, between now and when this is released, there's not too much NBA going on. Um, but I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you all for listening. NBA free agency officially kicked off. MLB trade deadline was crazy. The draft was great. A lot of excitement. And then, of course, football's coming back. So I will talk to you all next week. Thank you all for listening. And have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.